welcome to the debut, the premiere, the first episode of Table Talk. I appreciate you watching or viewing. You could have done anything with your time, but yet you're here with us. So I'm happy about that. And I'm very excited to welcome the very first guest of Table Talk, Matt Watson. Councilman Matt Watson, who is actually running for mayor. Um, a little bit about Matt Watson um, that I've read up so far. This is our first time actually personally mm -hmm. meeting. But um, he's been in the community for a long time. He's a public servant now. But um, he's he also goes... Um, outside of the boundaries of his district, as mm -hmm. I read, yeah. which is something that I'm definitely going to tackle into because I was intrigued by that. A lot of times you hear about politicians and they only serve their constituents. Uh, Mr. Watson here seems to serve the city as a whole, which was intriguing to me. Um, so we want to tackle into that. But again, this is your first time viewing and or listening. So I feel obligated to make sure that we let you know what Table Talk is about. Table Talk is a podcast that promotes healthy dialogue with everyone from different walks of life. So we want to make sure that we have proper ideas to help society in general move along. Too many times it's people talking at each other and, not, and they're not having conversation. They're not talking with one another. And that's what we want to promote here. So I got all that out the way. Let's welcome Councilman Matt Watson. How you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. I'm honored to be your very first guest. Yes, man. I want I've never to. Been, I've never been the first guest on anything. So I want to come out swinging. So I said, let me get, you know, a, a, a sitting councilman. Let me get a candidate for mayor. And there's so many people in the race now. Mm -hmm. That's that. That's amazing as well, too, as far as just all the different candidates. You know, I mean, it's what is it like six, seven mm -hmm. now? Six. OK, it was seven. Mm -hmm. But it's six now. But yeah, so I said, hey, let's 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 have a conversation. Gotcha. So I'm ready. I want to dig right in, you know, big elephant in the room. You're running for mayor. Mm -hmm. What sparked that? Because you're, you're on the council now. And how, how long have you been a, a councilman? I, I've been as an elected council member. This would be this is my fourth year doing this. I worked for the previous council person before who wasn't as engaged in the community, like going out to visit with the community, HOA meetings, things of that nature, which a lot of council people, they get invited to come speak to a neighborhood or another neighborhood or a, a community group that may transcend multiple neighborhoods because of they share a business interest or other things like that. And a lot of zoning issues that can make some people pretty upset if something's coming to their neighborhood instead of what used to be there. So there's a lot of meetings of that nature that I was afforded the great opportunity to go and listen to folks do a whole lot of, uh, you know, trying to make people come together, make be take people in another room and say, I know y'all hate each other, but I'll tell you what, I think I got a solution. I promise y'all I'm going to be, I'm not going to tell anyone you smiled or you shook hands, but when we come out, there's going to be a solution and both y'all can seem like you're a little unhappy with, but in the long run, everybody's going to be happy. So you've been having table talk this whole time, right? Well, not necessarily like this, but very much like that. Of course, of course, because there's only, you can't get things done unless you have a conversation. You just, you just can't. I agree. I agree with that. And you serve District 11, correct? Correct. Okay. Now, where exactly is that for people who may not know? <clears throat> okay. As as uh, where Jefferson Highway hits Government Street, and then you basically follow that. You know, you take Government Street over South Carrollton up to Florida to to uh, Airline Highway and Jefferson Highway. I guess you take 
got college Jefferson Jefferson to college and come down. It's okay. basically between Airline Highway and I-10 coming from that area by Jefferson Government Street going all the way down to where Piku goes from Airline to I-10. And there's a little bit south of 10 where you take uh, Essen or Insegan to Perkins and then north of Airline Highway you go Old Hammond out to Sherwood and take Sherwood down to Corsi and come back. Okay, okay. Now, roughly... How many constituents do you say that you have in your area? Well, each, we have 12 council districts total, so we want to have everyone get equal representation. So the biggest difference between uh, council districts is usually land mass based on density of population because each each area has about 40,000 people because we're trying to break up the population. That's why when you get a census, you'll get a redistricting because of changes in density and where people have moved to, to make sure that they stay each council person represents about the equal number of people. So they're all about between 39 and 41,000 people in each council district. Okay. Now you decided to throw your hat in the ring Mm -hmm. and run for mayor. Why? Well, The main problem is I, I, can, I can pinpoint exactly something that really motivated me was when you're in the Metro Council, you're in the, the legislative branch. You got the you know, you know this as well as anybody. The executive branch would be the mayor and everybody underneath the mayor. You got the judicial branch that's going to be city court and all the courts. And then you had the legislative branch, which is the council where we do a, we handle budget and we handle changing of ordinances or laws or writing ordinances or laws. And. I worked very hard with on something that's near and dear to my heart is reducing child sex trafficking and drug trafficking through our hotels and motels. Mm. I spoke with the district attorney's office when I first got into office and then I had to take their rough idea, which they took from Jefferson Parish, which they implemented something similar, but it wasn't perfect in Jefferson Parish. And they said, councilman, we need to have something like this here, this ordinance here to try to stop this because I don't know if you know this, but from like Lake Charles to New Orleans down in the I-10 corridor, that's the worst human trafficking and child sex trafficking section in the entire United and States. I don't, I don't think people understand the the gravity of that problem. You know, especially you know being in Baton Rouge. You know, we we're, we we are the capital of mm-hmm. the state, but Correct. I don't think we really kind of think about things of well, that nature. And, and the reason why I think people don't think about it too much is because it happens in hotels and motels right along. The reason I have the biggest problem in District 11, if you looked at on a map and you'd see, if you look down, you'd say, oh, there's a bunch of trees and you got the mall and you got the new children's hospital and all this other kind of stuff. But we all have these hotels, mm-hmm. motels and hotels along these routes where anybody traveling from state to state or within the state would pull off and go get, grab a night's sleep and, and keep moving. But it's also where drug trafficking happens, prostitution happens, and child sex trafficking happens because they can pop off, set up shop in a hotel, and then if the heat comes on, they just hop on a, on a highway and keep going. Mm. So they're not getting too far off of the main route because a lot of this stuff is a transient business. We had... An unfortunate lady who was kidnapped in Memphis, Tennessee, and back when Backpage was up on Craigslist, they were using that to promote this kidnapped woman, girl, actually, she was 16, and were traveling around, and they actually caught the folks that were hustling her on boardwalk off of Sherwood Forest near I-12 here in town because they got a tip 
from the hotel that this didn't look right. Mm. This girl looked beat up. She looked like she wasn't happy. She was crying all the time. And she was with two dudes that didn't seem, nobody was trying to comfort her the whole time. So they, yeah. they turned it in. And so they watched him. And one of the guys ran a stop sign. So they pulled him over. And apparently when he stopped, an actual uh, illegal pistol slid out from underneath the passenger seat. And that was enough to make the guy get out of the car. They ran everything and found out that this was the connect and they had been taking her all over the country. And it's, I mean, that, it was in a hotel right by the Chuck E. Cheese over there. And to save this woman, it's a huge deal, but you'd ask me why I want to throw my hat in to run for mayor. And it's because as a member of the legislative branch, we worked I worked with the Hospitality Association, went right to the people who have association that that manage hotel owners and hotel managers, because I'll tell you one thing anybody in the legislative branch here knows is sure doesn't include running a hotel. So you want to go to those folks and find out here are the rules they're trying to implement. Do these make sense as far as does it match up with how a hotel is operated, especially in the day and age of people? getting hotel rooms online and all this other kind of stuff. And you got these point systems. And so people don't necessarily have to come in and, and, and sign up and all this kind of stuff because it's all kept in a database. So face, no case. Exactly. So you got to figure out how this will work. And so it took about a year of working with the, with the hospitality association to make sure that they were comfortable with it. In a lot of ways, the hotels were being in certain instances, much more harsh still within the legal realm of how they were treating their customers. But they were much more harsh to try to stop things like this and partying and where kids would come in and rent a hotel room and trash the place, even though they lived a block away and they were just, their parents were home. So they rented a hotel room or something like that. So they had some things in place to try to stop illegal activity. So they informed ways that we could make this better. They, in, in not just making it more strict and being able to find illegal activity better, but also, in a lot of ways, f- how to make it work within the system of a modern day way that you get a hotel room. Right. So when we came up with this system, the we came up with the hotel motel ordinance. I mean, it's the first time ever. And I, I grabbed Erica Green. You know, she's an attorney. I wanted, right. and, you know, I didn't know if she ever wanted to be judge or something like that. But I knew that she had an interest in helping with something like this. So I had her come aboard and she had meetings with the hotel motel associations as well. Mm-hmm. And so you got a Democrat, a Republican, you got a white person, you got an African-American person. It seemed like everybody was united because who in the heck is going to stand up and say, oh, wait a minute, we need to leave yeah, wait, child whoa, sex whoa. trafficking alone. Who's going to stand up for that? You yeah, know? like who's, who's going to say, hey, this is an industry we have to really kind of protect. Child, it, it, child nobody, nobody is. Nobody right. is. And, and so when we came and had it come before council, once we got all of our ducks in a row and had a perfect, what we thought of a perfect ordinance, which I think is very well done, mm-hmm. the hospitality industry had their president come in and stand at the microphone and say, we need these regulations. And I don't know of any industry ever in the history of any regulation that came up and said yeah. we need to be regulated most, most, most industries most businesses they you know they they shy away from regulation correct you know? correct and I, but, I know that, that that's a big um uh, talking point mm-hmm. for you know i mean if you watch news and anytime you know a politician is running like you know less regulation and you know, yeah. And takes, they, this government overreach, exactly. please, you know, stay out of but, my business and all this other kind of stuff. But just saying the president actually came in and Repres- like, hey, because please we, regulate We us. must. We must have had eight different meetings 
I mean, we're not talking about meetings with six people. We had meetings where it was like the quarterly meeting of the entire organization. Right. And some big restaurant back when we could get together before COVID, it would be like 100 people in a room. It was so long ago. I know. <laughs> like 100 people in a room each time talking about this and asking pertinent questions. And at first, a lot of hesitation, a lot of pushback until they realize, I'm not here to stick this down, you know, anybody's business. I'm to asking you, how can we make this better? And we got to the point where it's before council. They come up and say, we need these regulations. We got folks that were advocates for the victims of human trafficking, child sex trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are a lot of organizations here in town. Empower 225 is, is a great one. And they got a lot of support from those folks. It passed unanimously, and I've never seen a standing ovation for something that passed before council. Wow. So that happens. Then... 16 months it took for the executive branch to even make the application for the permit, which was the way to register your hotel to get this process started. 16 months. So what took so long? You, you got, you're going to have to ask the mayor. Okay. Because it's underneath the mayor's office. What, what do you think took so long? Just just you, you know, you, you know you're... I'm, I'm, I'm on the outside looking in. You know, I, I would, I would say this. There's a lot of stuff going on, and, and maybe it just fell through the cracks, but I'll tell you what. Think, think about that girl from Memphis that was, kin, that was kidnapped. Yeah. And if she had lived that life for 16 months, think of the abuse that she would have gotten in 16 months when we could have stopped it like that before that 16-month period happened. And multiply that times however many other... Every other person that was falling into the life, as they call it. Yeah. And you get to a point where all they had to do was make an application. And, and nobody can tell me that it was too complicated because we figured all that out before we even brought it to council, so there wouldn't be any excuse to hold it up. The, the application was, what's the name of your hotel? What's the address of your hotel? Who owns it? who manages it, and who handles your insurance, and how many rooms do you have. So it was a pretty simple application. Absolutely. And each hotel would pay a one-time $100 fee to get the permit, and that permit allowed them to operate the hotel. $100 is a small drop Especially in the ocean for a hotel, right? It, well, for, for a one-time payment, absolutely. Yeah. One-time payment. It wasn't like they had to renew it every year. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want it to be have to be renewed every year because the people who handle permits and inspections, they got to do every elevator inspection and all this other kind of stuff all across everything. Which can become very taxing. Very cumbersome for them to handle. So I've been talking to Kerry Chauvin, who's over the Department of Development, which does permits and inspections. And he's like, Matt, can we do this like in a one-year basis? And I said, well, if they if they change ownership – the change of doing business as or if somebody buys a hotel, then they have to reapply because it'd be a different entity exactly. getting getting the permit. But otherwise, it stays in place unless they break the rules. And I'll be real quick with the rules. The rules are if in a 90 day period of time there are three or more calls for service for human trafficking, prostitution or drug distribution in the hotel. And that call was generated from someone who did not work at the hotel. Mm-hmm. Then they get their permit revoked to kinda operate like, a hotel. Like a, like, like a flag system. Almost. Exactly. Like, you know, if, if you but but if, if it, in, in, the, in the spirit of community policing, this is where the community, meaning the people who run the hotel, mm-hmm. can train their folks there to understand what to look for. Mm-hmm. Or if someone calls, if you're in room 101 and 
you hear something next door that sounds like someone getting beat up or you're seeing multiple guys go in and out of a room overnight after night after night with somebody right. that looks really unhappy to be there yeah. and somebody calls the front desk and the front desk calls law enforcement, that doesn't count against them. It's if they're ignored by the front desk and then they, the person gets so worried, they call law enforcement. And then there's a call for service that results in an arrest, three of those in 90 days, and then you get the permit revoked. And then it would take the quickest you'd get your permit back would be 60 days. Yeah. That is a much bigger pinch by a long shot than the $100 to get the permit exactly. to shut a hotel down for 60 days. And, and the only reason I'm thinking that they would even ignore the call is, you know, they maybe they're, they're in on it or something, which, you know, they need to be looked at at that point. Well, right? I'll tell you what, I, I learned a whole lot of things that I can't not know anymore i mean I, i've been made aware of these things and i can't not know them anymore as much as i you know ignorance is bliss i guess in a situation but it's there, no longer blissful for there you. were some some hotels where the owner of the hotel was in another state and the per the night manager was well aware of what was going on and was on the take in mm -hmm. some of these places i'm not saying every one of them yeah but know. i'm saying there were some that were and it took Law enforcement involvement at the location and communication to the owner to say, hey, man, this is just party central. And it's 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 not just having a couple of drinks and having a good time. It's like way off the chain how how bad it was right. for the people. And every every single room was having some kind of illegal activity going on. And there were people getting murdered at the location, all this stuff, because you had. A different business mm -hmm. in each one and sometimes they were getting hot with one another and having arguments about this that and the other thing and, and it was just a bad situation and it it was terrible for the people who were victimized it was terrible for the idea that this was now from the owner's perspective this is not a safe hotel to go to but this hotel was in a neighborhood had residences nearby exactly. so you had people in the neighborhood and that's why they got so many calls is because when you hear gunfire next door and you live four or five houses down you're going to make that phone call you're not going to call the front desk at that hotel yeah no you're going to call you're going to call the police so i mean this this is something where Jim Steele, who is investigator for the district attorney's office, when it originally passed, who was so excited. I mean, we got a bunch of pictures together and everybody was so happy when it passed that we were going to get an award as a municipality. The law enforcement was going to get an award through the DA's office right. as far as being able to stop all this. And then we go 16 months without this happening. And then so many other things that are not as life and death as something like this, because this is really, I mean, life or death or some, in some ways, I hate to even say, but almost worse yeah. than death for some of these people, because some of these people get stuck in this life. They look to die as a way to get out of it because they don't have any way to get out. When they're right. tattooed and marked by the guy that owns them on their leg or inside their lip or something like that, where it's yeah. a tattoo of the dude that owns them, they want to get out and they'll do anything. Exactly. So to have something that horrible and have no action taken because I think, I don't think anyone in the administration is on the take and something like this, but I do think it's absolute mismanagement and shameful mismanagement of something like this when you've got the most vulnerable are being victimized in such a horrible way. And then you've got stuff that, I mean, you look at drainage, you look at all the condemnations that need to come down and how there's lack of action on so many different levels when it comes to just the basic services, public safety, that's part of the whole social contract. I'm going right. to live by your rules. I'm going to pay taxes and I'm supposed to get my toilet's got to flush. You know, my car's not going to be damaged by the road. 
and 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 I'm going to be protected. Yeah, and and that's the exchange with society. So correct. So that was that was the the thing that that pushed you to the edge. As exactly. Saying, exactly. I got to run for mayor. Exactly. Okay. Well, that that's actually a very interesting reason to run for mayor, and it's also very selfless. Um, now, with the run for mayor um, campaigning, mm-hmm. I've 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 talked to a few politicians here and there. That's always either there's no in between. They either enjoy the experience or they hate the the whole jumping through hoops thing that they feel like they have to do. Mm-hmm. How has it been for you? Well, for starters, the elephant in the room, COVID has changed the way any campaign is run. Historically, we've never had anyone run a campaign throughout something where you've had limitations on how many people can be in a space, mm-hmm. be it wearing a mask. And being socially distant like we are right now. So right. that's changed the way campaigns, but it's affecting everyone equally because yeah. everyone has to go through that same thing. Uh, I personally, I love campaigning because that's a time when I get to go out and meet so many different people. It's kind and of talk a relief to, now. We've been, been kind of stuck and ostracized from everybody. Mm, I, I love going out. I love meeting with people. And if you've ever, folks that, out there that have been to my, I, I hate to call them even meet and greets because they're not, they're question and answer sessions because okay. I like to go out and, you know, any politician could come write a speech, but there's an excellent chance that that politician can pontificate for 15 minutes about something that only one person in the room really wanted to talk about, but everybody else had some other things they needed to have answered. Right. I will make some generalized remarks, who I am, where I'm from, my experience, some things I'm very proud of that I've done. And what I would like to see going forward, but let's open this up for questions so I can have an actual exchange with folks because we got a lot of great people here and all, I mean, and there's a lot of people that know they deserve better than what they're getting right now. And they want to know why, and they want to know how, like the three one one system. I work with the, the, um, in 705 community action team. We meet at Estruma high school. Right. And that group of folks originally, I met them. Because someone who lived in my district bought a 65 unit cinder block hotel, not hotel, excuse me, apartment complex on Eden Street. Okay. And he was having tires dumped around his space. So I got that cleaned up for him. And then he was working with the folks that live in the neighborhood about putting captains together for neighborhood watch because they were sick and tired of the crime, mm-hmm. sick and tired of kids that they thought should be in school because of their age and they're running through their their parking lots of their hotel or their apartment complexes or something like that with there, there is a huge with, truancy issue. with guns and stuff like that so they're wondering how we can do this so they're coming up with their you know neighborhood watch program but there's one space in particular at the corner of sherwood street and north foster that was an abandoned used tire place that was left to just you know to mother nature mm. after the flood of 2016 and being a used tire place, it had some tires on it. But if you have a spot where there's some dumping, it's a magnet for everybody else to say, it's okay to dump there too. Exactly. So it's always going to be where, well, dumping. Okay, cool. Exactly. So my friend uh, who was working with them, uh, that group saw that I had done a cleanup under I-10 at Segan because there was homeless folks that were living in, in between the two three foot high hip walls in this dead center underneath the overpass, mm-hmm. not on one side or the other side, right between the northbound and southbound 60, 70 mile an hour traffic living in there with piles of clothes. And then they were running back and forth to that space. It was dangerous to them. It was dangerous to drivers that might miss them and all stuff. So we went and we did a cleanup over there and 
had EBRSO brought out St. Vincent de Paul to talk to the folks who were out there, try to get them services and all this kind of stuff. And some of these folks saw that and asked the guy that had the, the apartment complex, said, what district do you live in? He told them I was their council person. They said, could he do something to help us out? Because we've been asking for a year, mm-hmm. writing emails to our council person in the mayor's office for a year. And we haven't even heard, thank you for your email, we'll see. No response at all Nothing. on this location. And so Tommy's the guy that has the, the apartment complex. He called me on a Tuesday. And because this is just a st- I love to do stuff. I love to do cleanups because it's, it's really, it might be physically taxing, but it's so easy to do because you just go out and you attack the problem. If you know the people right. who can partner There's with There's no you. red tape of doing it. Exactly, cleanup. exactly. If you know who to partner with, you can get stuff done pretty quick. So we talked on Tuesday. Friday, we cleaned up 630-plus tires they were inside of a building that was leaning over, about to fall, because it didn't have drywall or insulation on the inside. It was a it was a shed type building. Yeah. Tires piled inside, tires all over all over the grounds, and we got them all the all the tires picked up. Got you know the great guys in the Department of Maintenance to come out with you know like you see from the garbage company they got a big truck with a claw that comes down. They picked up the tires and they took it to a, one of the maintenance lots. Was able to call BRPD to have them out there with the lights on so nobody ran in the back of the truck while it was picking up the tires and all that stuff. And we cleaned that up. Then I had volunteers come the next day to pick up all the debris. And then Republic Services came out and there was a couple of locations around there that were out of business where people just had bag trash. That had been sitting there for months. Yeah. And because the place is empty, they're not paying a water bill, so they're not paying a, 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 either a commercial yeah. or they were a residents that wasn't paying a water bill, so they weren't paying a trash bill. Exactly. So they came, cleaned up that whole area. And, man, Cheryl and Roland McGee that live right next door on Sherwood Street, they've been trying to get it cleaned up forever because he's like, man, if you could clean it up, I'll just take my lawnmower over there and cut the weeds down that are growing so high they're pushing on our fence and all yeah. this kind of stuff. So to go up there and clean that up... That was wonderful, and that's what got me meeting with them on a, a monthly basis. First Tuesday of every month, we'd have a discussion of why we were here, what we wanted to do, what we could clean up next, what sort of things. I had people asking me, I got a guy that lives next door to me that's got about 10 or 12 washing machines in his yard that collect water, and it got grass growing up like he's going to run some of the scrap metal business. Why, or why, run some. why does he have 10 to 12 washing machines? Does he well, just, like, see, collect them? Well, well, see, some people will, will collect that stuff because, one, he may want to do repairs, so he'll go pull parts off that. It's like okay. a junkyard for this stuff. Or he's going to sell the scrap metal or something like that. Or he just started collecting them, think he's going to do some kind of business, and it doesn't really take off, and all of a sudden and the grass is three them. feet high, and he doesn't have any way to move them. But the neighbors don't know how to report it in a way that takes an excuse for denial of service. If you follow what I mean, you know, yeah, if somebody I, I calls 311 and says this is going on, but maybe they don't know the address or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard for Exactly. So in meeting with these folks, they want to know how can I make a change here? So it wasn't me going in and cleaning up stuff for them. It was me going and partnering with them and their the thirst for how do I make sure this doesn't continue to happen? How can we change things between that first Tuesday and that fourth Saturday when we do a cleanup? How can I affect positive change in my neighborhood? Because I don't know how to use the app or I can download the app, but I don't know how to put in the correct information. What are some of the things that I need to do and to 
anybody who's in management of any kind in any business, what a good manager does is it removes any excuse for your employees to be able to do their job. Give them the information, show them how to do everything. So I wasn't managing those folks, but I use that same principle of saying, everybody get out your phone. Everybody download the Red Stick Ready app. Now, if you wanted to do something about the washing machines, put in, look through this for junk, trash, and debris in the yard. Take a picture. Put in, look up the address. Put the address in. And now you've taken away any excuse for somebody to deny you the service that you deserve for the taxes that you pay. So great learning every first Tuesday of every month. And then we would plan to do a cleanup on the fourth Saturday of every month. And we did, God, the first cleanup that we did after we did the one cleanup, not as a group. It was just Tommy and myself. And then some volunteers did that area that was a tire, the resale shop. Then they started talking about, they were saying, you know, when Pearl or Cheryl or Miss Lynette and all these folks were saying, we got piles of garbage in front of people's houses that have been here also since the flood. So we drove through all 705 looking at, and they were real keen about saying, don't you dare go out. We're the 705 committee action team. Let somebody, let them get their own committee action team right. somewhere else. We need to focus. We need the help here now. Let's not spread too thin. Let's focus on this. So we printed out a big map and got addresses where we had these big piles of trash and we drove through and you know verified they were all still there communicated with, with republic saying look we need to get this stuff cleaned up this is these these folks are paying for this it's making their their world i mean their quality of life is terrible and it's sometimes it's it's the abandoned house next door but they're still paying for their trash to be picked up so and let's let's take care of it and i don't i don't think people realize how cosmetic issues can affect a person's you know overall esteem about themselves where they live and everything so that that is a very important thing and the fact that you're hands-on is impressive well you got you got a couple of things you got people will complain about rats and, and snakes and stuff in this kind of stuff then it looks like as what you're getting at is somebody leaves their house and walks into, out into a world where i take care of my prop property and I take care, I get together and take care of like where our school is mm. or where our church is, but I can't do anything about two doors down right. that everybody's coming to my house. See, like this is the area I live in when I got four or five houses in the neighborhood where the windows are busted out. There's a you know, blue tarp on the roof. Nobody's lived there for years and the siding's gone on half the thing. Why can't we get that taken care of? Because that's a dangerous structure Then by law needs to be condemned and needs to be torn down. So some of these areas we drove through and pull up and he's got this big pile and the guy's out in his carport changing the oil on his on his car with his dad and i say how long has the city let this fence sit here he says oh that's all stuff i cleaned up from my yard that floated in my yard from the flood of 16 and i said all right your regular pickup day for this is tuesday if they don't come on tuesday i'm gonna be here myself with somebody in a truck and we're gonna pick up on saturday and his response was yeah right <laughs> I, I because think that would it's, be the it's been response. there since 16. No kidding. Why right. wouldn't the guy? Why would the guy believe anything anybody was saying from government that we were going to fix it? Because they've been complaining about this for going on three years now. Right. So practically almost three years. So we drove by, just real quick drove by. It was still there. I called Sharon Mann, who is the local. She runs Republic Services, and I said, "Look, I need you to have me a claw truck at Howell Park, 5:30 in the morning on Saturday." And we went around, we started picking up all the stuff. And I rode in the truck with the guy because that's, that's, 
that's just the way I like to do things. I like to have some boots on. I like to have some jeans on. I'll bring some gloves and hop out of the truck and, you know, the recycling bins full of stuff that sh that's not recycling, some kind of dirty diapers and stuff a lot of times because people would stop and get out and put something in a garbage can to keep on going. Yeah. And you got to separate tires from other stuff. So we started hitting it. We were nailing it. But the trip to go up to Samuels Road where the landfill is and come back that was eating up so much time and the landfill closes at 3 o'clock on Saturday. So I called Sharon Mann again. I said, look, we're not making the time that we need to. And I know you don't want to have your guy come out here and burn another Saturday running you know, my map out here doing this. And she got RCI, another company, to come out with another truck just like with the claw on it, just like we were doing. We met him out with the chicken shack and tore the map in half, gave him half the map. And he took care of half of it. We took care of half of that. And we nailed all that stuff in, in a Saturday just by being focused. And, the, and a lot of the people that were in, in the 7805 community action team are, and I don't think they'd be embarrassed of me saying this, are of an age where they're not going to pick up a big, heavy piece of, you know, wood or something like that. But they can go out and they can see where everything is and phone call back and forth and, 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 and have, have the, tr have the, the motion of the truck be in a systematic way to make sure that we're not wasting time. We can be as efficient as possible and clean that, that stuff up. And I've just drove up there through there yesterday because doing some work out at St. Gerard to put bike lanes and stuff on St. Catherine and St. Gerard or up by the St. Gerard school and church up there. But you go through that area and some of that stuff has come back because when you start cleaning up what's out in the street, Trees are going to fall since then, yeah, and people will cut them up. And then people will clean up what's in the backyard and bring it forward, or people will come to start dumping stuff. So that you need to keep having that proper maintenance come through, so you need to tear yeah, down the... You can't just do it one and done. Oh, no, because you're not going to... Look, the one thing you can do that is almost like a one and done is if you're really aggressive on tearing down condemnations these dangerous structures mm. that have already gone through the due process and tear them down because they're the site where crime can happen and unlike a pile of junk at the street it's a structure itself that can hide criminal activity or i remember when i was a kid and to show my age i watched indiana jones in the theater you know the temple that does not show your, your full age it's fine <laughs> okay I, so I, I, I saw one of the indiana jones in the theater too okay gotcha not, so not that old. so there was an abandoned schoolhouse down the street from where i was at and man that was the place when you were a little kid to go play because it was so interesting and it was like indiana jones and all this other kind of stuff right. but if i fell through the second floor i could have died yep. i could step on a nail and get tetanus or some, somebody could have been waiting in there for me. Exactly. Or I could have stumbled on some kind of illegal activity that was happening in there. And then next thing you know, now you're in danger. And exactly. Yeah, there, there, there's a plethora of things that can happen with these things. And, I mean, like I said, just I, I, I did my research, and I did see that one of the, the biggest things that you, that you have gotten done uh, on your time as being a councilman is, is the whole blight issue. Because mm -hmm. there is a lot of blight in the city. And like you said, you can just ride around and you see these old abandoned houses. No one's lived there for years. You got blue tarp and it's just a haven for, like you said, rats yeah. and snakes and illegal activity. Mm -hmm. And these are things that need to be addressed. And the litter on the ground, I was told um, someone went to go meet uh, a guy that flew in. I'm ashamed to say he flew into the New Orleans airport instead of our airport here. But he flew into the New Orleans airport and drove up to Baton Rouge to look for a site where he was going to move a 
manufacturing part of his business. Mm. It was a large nationwide business. We're going to put a satellite office manufacturing facility here. And when they rode through and they saw, you know, the gravel and dirt and debris that's along our curbs and, and where the islands are in the center and dump stuff in the ditches and all this kind of stuff, he said, you can turn me around. There's no way I'm going to ask my people to come down here because this shows how much respect you have for your own community. I'm not going to put my, I'm not going to put my company here. And you can't argue with that guy's mentality because the whole thing is you're trying to win that guy over. And if that's something that's keeping a business from here, that's there's proof positive right now. We got to address that. We can't do business here unless we're ready to do business here. Exactly. That, that reminds me of, I remember this, uh, this, this happened to me in, in the third grade. Well, it didn't happen to me, but I remember it. And we had book reports to do. Mm-hmm. I went to uh, Audubon Elementary, third grade. Mm-hmm. And um, the teacher, I turned mine in, and, you know, you have to wait a couple of days to get your grade because he sure. has to review everything. I think I ended up with, like, a B. And there was this very, very smart girl in the class. She always had A's mm-hmm. everywhere. And she got a C. And everybody was shocked when she got her payback. Like, mm-hmm. she got a C? And I remember her, you know, going up to the teacher's desk and like, why did I get a, a C? Yeah. And he says, I took off a whole grade because you turned it in and your cover page had macaroni stains on it. And he said, you have to be aware of how it looks cosmetically as well, mm-hmm. too. And that stuck with me. Like I said, that didn't even happen yeah. to me. Yeah. But I saw that. And ever since then, I'm like. Yep, perception matters. Yeah, Which you're, you're quite a few years out of third grade, and you, I, it's I still it's still in the front of your that, head when it comes hey, up. Hey, that that stuck with me because I'm yeah. like, you know, I didn't, you know, I got, a, I was happy for my B. Sure. And I'm like, man, I'm a, maybe I could have got an A then. <laughs> um, yeah. But it, it does bring me to to another point because we we have um, addressed the thing, you know, one of the one of the biggest things that you've achieved. But I want to ask you as far as because you're running for mayor. That means you've also identified multiple problems with Baton Rouge. So, mm-hmm. you know, the, the story you just said about the guy who flew in from New Orleans and drove sure, up and like, sure. can just turn me around. Hey, what's up? I know the conversation is getting real, real good. So make sure you just scroll right down and hit part two for the continuation of this debut episode of Table Talk.